Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the Book of Enoch, the Prophet. Part 1, Canto 1, The Blessed and the Accursed. This is the story of Enoch and the blessings he received from God. This story is about an elect one whom God chose to bless for his righteousness. When he lived on earth in a terrible and troubling time, Enoch praised God with his life and soul by rejecting all the wicked and ungodly, and God blessed him. Enoch was a righteous man who opened his eyes to Yahweh. Enoch supplicated himself before Eloi in fear because he saw the horrors of a crime against humanity. He spoke to God in meditative prayer, and God answered because Enoch was truly awakened to the spirituality and eternal truth of El Shaddai. God responded to Enoch by giving him a holy vision of angels who descended to greet him from the heavens above. A holy conveyance appeared in a cloud on Mount Sinai. Identifying this habitation was a challenge for Enoch who had never before seen an object flying and landing that was not a bird or other winged creature. God's angels, Elohim, the Shining Ones, appeared before Enoch on Mount Sinai and showed him the truth of all things, and he understood that he was seeing a vision of events that were going to happen in the distant future. These visions of the earth's destruction, first by water and then by fire, in a time not near to Enoch's normal lifetime, perplexed Enoch with great fear, and he continued to pray. Enoch's generation would not know all of these horrors, but these prophecies were going to occur for a generation living in some distant time. Adonai had chosen Enoch to see this future, write about it, and tell others the truth of it. Enoch spoke to God, who came to him from the heavens, the Holy and Mighty One, the God of the world. And Enoch asked about the meaning of these visions, and why God chose him to perceive these blessings of mercy and the punishments of judgment as God determines. A great disturbance upon the earth surrounded Enoch where he stood upon the height of Mount Sinai. The Lord God Almighty appeared with his host of angels, and a light shining from above surrounded Enoch. The sound of God's voice boomed like thunder, and Enoch, the seventh man from Adam, the first man, received the manifestation of God's strength and power becoming transfigured with everlasting life so that his soul may never perish. The watchers became terrified to see, for the first time ever, a human being become the same as they were, spiritually eternal. When once they had dominion over mankind, one among the flock they watched had become equal to them and transfigured by the power of God Almighty. The angels were the watchers, the eternal sons of heaven, but a man had become eternal right before their eyes. Great fear and trembling seized these eternal sons, those hosts of heaven, who knew at that moment what had happened because nothing like this had ever happened before, and those who had gone down to the earth also knew that the event on that lofty mountain where God came to Enoch, on that hill where God exalted him with the gift of eternal life, meant that they were all in a whole lot of trouble. When the wayward eternal sons realized that God knew of their heinous crimes, depression overcame them, melting their celebratory joy and exuberance with fear, like the fragile honeycomb melts in flame. All of the earth will become immersed in the fire of God's wrath such that all things will perish when judgment comes to all, even upon all of the righteous. To the innocents God will give peace. He will preserve the elect and give them mercy. In the end, just as it has always been from the beginning, all will belong to God, be happy for His blessings, and the light of eternal truth about the Godhead will illuminate the darkness so that no more lies may deceive any among God's creations. Yet in some time, a greater distance from the time when these judgments will take place for the crimes of these sinful servants to God, who corrupted humanity to no carnal flesh, unnaturalistic lusts and horrid abominations to God, the way of water dries up and there is only the chasm of fire below or the light of glory above. In that day, 
Christ returns with Gabriel and 10,000 of God's Elohim to execute God's judgment upon the earth. His mighty host will destroy the wicked, reproving all of them for their carnality, so that everything and every deed of sinfulness, of ungodliness, that they have committed against God will not be hidden from the sight of Rachel, the punishing angel. For this event of rarity occurring on Mount Sinai, all who are in the heavens above the earth and throughout all the universe knew what had happened, and for what reason God transfigured an ephemeral being to have eternal spiritual life. Never before had such a change occurred. In the path of luminaries, the regularity of movement in the heavens had never before changed. From the normality of rising, setting, and rotation, each within its proper period of action, according to the natural order of things. God had determined none should transgress in the manner that had been transacted there on the earth to cause the beginning of an end to all that everything in the universe obeyed. All of God's creatures and those whom he employed to watch over the lesser of his creations knew in that moment that there was a change in him. His love has always been great and invariable since the dawn of time and opening of the heavens. God's making of all that appears to them was right in its existence that the whole of the earth was full of water, and that the clouds in the sky above made the dew and the rain to refresh the beauty of every tree in all the seasons of life. God's angels, the Elohim, the shining ones, knew that the cycle of life withering the leaves falling from the deciduous was different for the evergreen. The fourteen of them are the exception among trees, having no new leaves for two or three winters. All other beings everywhere in the universe looked again upon what had happened, considering the progression of seasons for other places such as the days of summer, when the sun shines upon the earth, makes everything hot in a new beginning. The heat forces life to seek an evolutionary shade from the burning of the sun because the earth becomes dried and scorched from the relentless heat, under which no creature may walk upon the ground or over rocks as a consequence of that extreme heat. The obedient ones see the order of life and how a tree's leaves become green and fruit appears. When the time for it to happen has come, the obedient ones understand all of it, and they know that the Eternal One does all of these things out of love for all living things. All of God's creations know that His works, from the beginning of every existing year, that all of God's works are for His glory, and all of this invariability is subservient to Him. All that happens is God's will just as He appoints. All that has come to pass has always been His design. These truths are undeniable, just as the rivers flow into the seas, and they complete their respective courses. It was a matter of impatience that caused the transgressions. It was a choice those few disobedient ones made that they could not wait for the fulfillment of the Lord's commandments for His creations. Those disobedient ones could not endure patiently. They blasphemed God's greatness, and malignant were the words in their mouths that opposed His majesty. The withered in heart will never know peace. The accursed will curse all of their days. The years of their lives will perpetually perish. Their execration multiplied without enumeration, and they will never receive mercy for their crimes. In the days of judgment the condemned shall bow, resigning peace in the conviction of eternal malediction, being accused by all of the righteous, and even the sinners will curse those disobedient ones, because the sinful execrate with the ungodly. The blessed elect shall possess light, joy, and peace. The righteous and truthful will inherit the new earth, but the unholy transgressors and liars shall be accursed with the malediction of sleeplessness, endless torment, and no peace will they ever have, nor will their souls have rest. In that day... The elect will have wisdom. They will pass the judgment for their trespasses. They will replace impiety with piousness, and they shall humble themselves before God, that they are not prideful in the works of their hands. These who live to know God's mercy and greatness will have prudence, being cautious not to repeat the crime, because those who witnessed the event on Mount Sinai understood the purpose of it all, was so that they would know both God's mercy and His punishment at the cycle's end. They will not be condemned the whole period of their lives, nor die in torment and indignation, from the guilt of sin. Their days shall be complete as they grow old in peace, while years of happiness multiply with peace and joy, 
will be with them for the whole duration of their existence. Part 1, Canto 2, The Crime, the Criminals, and the Punishment In the course of human history, God first created Adam and his companion Eve. After the event of mankind's first transgression, Eve did partake of the fruit from the tree, forbidden to them so that Adam and Eve came to know they were naked, because before that happened, they did not know this or much of anything else other than the happiness of life on earth. With an abundance of joy, peace, and happiness, the sons of men had multiplied in those difficult days, and the sons and daughters of those first two humans evolved as it was always God's plan for them to evolve from simple creatures knowing nothing to become sentient beings of great beauty and elegance. The first sin led to the second with the first murder among mankind, prompting God to send his sons, a species of eternal spiritual beings made in his likeness, to the earth as he ordered them to watch over mankind, that there might be supervision of humanity for the time of its early days and growth. God's loving sons of the heavens, Elohim, who may be addressed as such when seen, obediently followed his commandments, knowing their purpose was to watch and never interfere with their father's creation. It was not their place, nor was it permitted, that they interact with humanity as visible physical beings, that mankind could see or even knew existed, the same as any other of God's creations. When the sons of God saw the daughters of men, they became enamored with them, for their beauty and elegance rivaled their own form. They spoke among themselves, saying to each other, Come, let us select for ourselves wives, the same as progeny of men, and let us have children also. Among them were many other face-to-face meetings occurring in secret places. The voice of one angel was speaking to others. We are eternal beings who will descend from heaven to earth, reveal secrets to the sons of men, and seduce them all into the commission of sin, while laying with their daughters to have children of our own. The angel who said these things might have been Satan, who had a proclivity to rebelliousness. Among these sons were the elder sons, whom God appointed as leaders of the younger ones. Shamyaza was their superior, and he said to all of them, I am afraid that your decision to engage in this enterprise of mating with the daughters of men will surely cause an indisposition, and the Lord God will grieve of you for poor performance and lack of compliance with his will for all of us. I further fear that I will alone suffer grievously for allowing you to commit this crime while I am in charge. In defiance of Shamyaza, the other sons gathered and answered him, saying, We all swear, by binding ourselves, mutually execrating, that we will not change our decisions, and our intent is to execute this proposed undertaking. Afterwards, they swore a pact among themselves with mutual swearing to bind themselves to an oath, becoming a total of two hundred who descended upon Artis, which is at the top of Mount Hermon. They landed on that mountain called Hermon, because they had all sworn to do the deed, and mutually agreed among themselves. These are the names of their leaders, Shamyaza, who was the highest ranking of all the leaders, Yerakabaramil, Akibil, Tamiel, Ramuel, Danel, Azkil, Zerakiel, Asael, Armors, Batral, Anain, Zavebe, Samsavil, Artael, Turel, Yamyael, and Arazael. In truth, these names have been made secret, being altered from the original to prevent mankind from summoning their accursed spirits, or those of their offspring to manifest again on earth. They were the elder ones among the two hundred, who served as the masters for all of the remainder of those two hundred who followed them to the earth. Each of them took wives from among the daughters of men. Each one of them chose for himself, having no problem in each his approach, because they were all more beautiful than any men those women had ever seen before meeting them. 
The errant sons of God quickly won favor among these daughters. They cohabited with them, teaching them the sorcery of seduction, incantations of love, fertility, healing by the divining of roots, and the knowledge of trees, plants, and herbs that gave them greater powers over others than any of them had ever known. Being overwhelmed with the glory of these errant sons of God, the eternal and immaculate conceptions of the Lord God Almighty, the most beautiful of all creatures made from the seed of the only God, Father, and Creator in the womb of the universe, the sons who had descended to earth to be among these fortunate females, the women conceived and brought forth giants. The children became abominations, growing to unnatural stature of three hundred palms or fifteen meters in height. These mutations devoured all that the labor of men could produce for them as they grew bigger every day, until it became humanly impossible to feed them. Hungered and angered in their infantile misunderstandings, these abhorrent creatures of a mistaken mating turned against men and began devouring them as though they were mere morsels. The offspring of these disobedient sons of God and daughters of men began injuring birds, beasts, reptiles, fish, and ate the flesh of all living, breathing creatures, quenching their thirst with blood. The matter of it all was so horrid that even the earth reproved the unrighteousness of this occurrence becoming barren and withering so that there would be no future for any of them. This might have been similar to an ice age, but the only certainty is that the earth became desolate. In response to all that was happening, these criminal sons endeavored to do even more as any father might do to aid in the survival of his offspring. In such effort to advance the species of humanity, that men might better serve the gods that these wayward sons had delivered, Azazael taught men to make swords and knives to kill and cut other men. He taught them to make shields for protection, and breastplates to enhance their fierceness, and the fabrication of mirrors to reflect the light of the sun as a power over the sight of other men in war. It was Azazael who taught men the workmanship of metals to make bracelets, ornaments, jewelry, and precious things to covet and trade. Azazael taught the women to adorn themselves with these things, and to beautify their eyes and brows with paint and colors to seduce men. Moreover, he taught them the use of stones and their various values, and he showed them the ways to alter themselves and the world around them, that they might color it with all sorts of dyes. As a result of all these influences and infections of humanity, men who knew no more than Eve had made known to them, from the time of that single bite of forbidden fruit she shared with Adam, impiety increased, fornication multiplied, and transgressions corrupted everything that they did in all of their days on earth until death. Others among the dark and fallen ones educated their offspring to become gods to men. Barakiel taught the observations of the stars and luminaries. Amazarach taught all of them sorcery and divination of roots. Akabil taught signs of nature to know future events of birth and death. Tamiel taught astronomy that they might see the Creator's majesty. Aseradel taught the motion of the moon so that they would know time eternal. Mankind became oppressed and destroyed by these new gods who sprang from the wombs of human females and they made natural-born men to be their slaves. The press cried out so that their voices reached to heaven, and God heard the prayers of the righteous among them. God heard the supplications of the seventh from Adam. Enoch's pleas for help reached the ears of the holy watchers. The holy watchers looked down from heaven and saw the depth and measure of blood spilled on the earth. Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Serakiel, and Uriel looked down from their places in the heavens and saw the iniquity that had been done on earth. They said to one another, it is the voice of sadness. The earth, deprived of her children, weeps aloud, even into the gates of heaven, even that God may hear it all from his throne, distantly located on the outer edge of the universe itself. It was Enoch in his voice aloud to them who proclaimed, And now to you, O ye holy ones of heaven, the souls of men complain, saying, Obtain justice for us from the Most High. 
Then the holy watchers said to their lord, the king, he who is the lord of lords, god of gods, king of kings, The throne of your glory is for ever and ever, and for ever and ever is your name sanctified and glorified throughout all of the universe. Blessed and glorified be the Lord God Almighty. You have made all things. You possess power over all things. And all things are opened, revealed, and manifested before you. For all of their pleading, the holy ones obtained the countenance of the Father, the Almighty Creator, the Lord of Spirits. They prayed to Him. You have seen what Azazel has done, how he has taught every kind of war and torment to men, how he has made every species upon the earth to suffer, the iniquity of his disclosure of secret things which should be known only to those creatures in the heavens. Shamyaza has joined these incriminations and taught sorcery, the very one to whom you have given authority over the others who have in association with him transgressed on earth. They have all gone together to lay with the daughters of men, becoming polluted with the blood of men and polluting men with their blood in those they now call their children. These babes the women brought forth were gigantic and mutated abominations. They were filling all of the earth with their bloodlust and iniquitous vanity to enslave mankind. It is the souls of the dead crying out that their voices complain. Even to the gates of heaven their groaning ascends, and they escape not from the unrighteousness which has been committed against them on earth. You have known these things would be done in what was to happen, yet... You have not spoken to us about what we should do now. What, on account of these things, ought we to do to them? From the beginning of this tale, all have known the truth of it. The revelation of Enoch concealed the truth of God's plan. Nobody among the sons of men knew what it all meant. For thousands of years, the mystery of it all concealed Enoch, where he had been, what he had seen, and what had happened. Enoch was wholly engaged with the pure and shining ones, and he was always with the watchers for all of his days, because he did not die. God took him away, that he might return when it came time for the son of Lamech to know his task, and that he might be able to tell all of it in his own words. I, Enoch, was blessing the great Lord and King of Peace, when suddenly the watchers called out to me and named me Enoch the scribe. My amazement lasted only a moment, for the Lord immediately said to me, Enoch, scribe of righteousness, go speak to the watchers of heaven, those who have deserted the lofty sky and their holy everlasting station in the heavens, those who have polluted themselves with the carnality of women, who have done as the sons of men do, taking wives for themselves, and who have greatly corrupted by these transgressions on earth, go tell them that they shall never obtain peace and remission of sin. They shall not rejoice in their offspring. They shall watch the deaths and the slaughter of their offspring and they shall lament the destruction of their sons. They shall petition forever, but will never obtain my mercy and peace. Enoch heard God's commandment for him. He knew that no ordinary human could ever do such a thing as confront an eternal son of God with fearless impunity, but Enoch was not ordinary. God had transfigured him to be eternal on Mount Sinai, and he was with the holy watchers from that time until they took him as God commanded to Egypt, Sumer, and other places on earth where those errant sons traveled to take wives among men and procreate their own offspring. The worst of all of them that Enoch addressed was Azazael, and Enoch said to him, You will not obtain peace through war. A great sentence has gone forth against you. You will be bound. You shall not receive relief or mercy on account of the crimes, the oppression of mankind, how you have taught the ways of war, killing and death, and on account of every act of calumniation, tyranny, and sin which you have disclosed to the children of men 
and to thine own mutations by women. Enoch departed from Azazael's presence and called to the others. Together they listened to God's scribe tell them the same as he had told to the worst of them, and they all became terrified and trembled. The sons of God feared in the realization of what had happened, the never-before-seen empowerment of a human on Mount Sinai, that this man might so boldly go before them without fear of them, that any other human might die at their whim with a simple wave. But Enoch could not die. God had given him everlasting life. Enoch was not a son of God. He was the seventh man from Adam. He was a human being, the son of a man. And God made him his scribe, a prophet, the teller of eternal truth, and the messenger of God's wrath to come. The sinning sons of the Almighty Father beseeched Enoch to scribe for them a memorial of their supplication to God, that they might obtain forgiveness by the presentation of his prayers, which ascend directly to the throne of God in heaven, because they could no longer address God themselves for their shame. They could not look their eyes up into heaven on account of their disgrace. They no longer had God's countenance, and they were already judged. Enoch wrote the memorial, their prayer and supplication, for their souls, for everything they had done, as was the subject of their entreaty, that they might obtain remission of peace among them and rest from worry. Enoch left them going to a place west of Mount Hermon. Enoch fell asleep, reading the text of the memorial and prayer, and a dream came to him with visions appearing above him. He fell to his face, seeing visions of a great punishment, and instantly knew that he must relate this vision to the fallen sons of heaven that he might reprove them. Enoch woke up and went to them. They all stood before Enoch, weeping together, covering their faces, while he uttered the works of righteousness to reprove the forlorn fallen. This concludes this episode of Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the book of Enoch the Prophet. Be sure to subscribe or follow for notifications of new releases. Thank you for listening. I am Michael.